Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. I'm super thrilled this evening uh, to be joined by Gabrielle Dixon. Gabrielle, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. I'm great. Um, it's uh, it's right before Memorial Day. I almost said Labor Day. I don't know why I said right almost right before <laughs> Labor Day. Um, but uh, I'm I'm excited for this. I I actually you know we were talking before we recorded that you're sitting outside, and and the crickets in the background is actually kind of like making me calm. It's making me feel like it is. It's mellow. So West Virginia mountains. Oh, I'm jealous. I. I I live I live in north central or central west Wisconsin. I gotta say central west Wisconsin. We're you know surrounded by woods and outdoors and, and all that stuff is good, but I like have a special thing for the mountains. Like if you give me yes. the choice between mountains and beach, I will always take mountains. Oh, see, I grew up in West Virginia, so I would take beach. But we live in North Carolina now. Oh. So we are close. We're close to the beach. We're in Raleigh, so we're close to the beach. But we're also close to mountains, so it's a good it's a good place. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, you know, we appreciate you coming on the podcast, and what we really want to do is just uh, have educators tell their stories uh, to really start to help change the perspective of what teachers do and what's really out there because there's so much of our profession that seems negative to the public and yeah. to perception, and we want to really just tell people about what's really going on. So. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about um, how you became a teacher, why you became a teacher, and what you're doing now? Yes. Um, So growing up, I I always loved kids, playing with kids, and I was a nanny, and I babysat. Um, And then in high school, I did a little bit more of, like, the volunteering scene, um, and that's where I spent a lot of time with people with disabilities, not just kids, um, adults as well. My stepdad was on the board of, we called it, it was a sheltered workshop in our town. So it's like, you know, individuals with disabilities after they graduated from high school, um, you know, all ages after that would work there. So I volunteered a lot there. Um, um, I went to school, I went to college pursuing education and then my freshman year, I had that typical, I'm going to change my major, and I was a little bit worried about money because, you know, teachers don't get paid very much. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go into nursing, and I actually switched. I was I started college at um, a small school with probably like a 1,000 students, and I ended up transferring to um, WVU. I'm from West Virginia, so I went to West Virginia University, and when I transferred, I decided to change my major, and I said I was going to do nursing, and I went to the first orientation, and they had a video, and there was some blood, and I was like, nope, I can't do it, so I, then I think I tried business for, like, the first semester, and I was like, no, nope, not good at math, so then I went back to education, and um, I ended up doing elementary ed, special ed, and early childhood education. And I really just did the special education because I was like, oh, I'll get a job right away. They're always hiring special ed teachers. I really didn't think that would be what I did. Um, so I always thought I'd be a preschool teacher. Love music, love songs, love art, arts and crafts. I'm all about arts and crafts. Um, so when I graduated, my first job actually my husband's a basketball coach, a college basketball coach, so we move around a lot. My first job was in rural West Virginia. I was 
a high school resource teacher. So I was probably 22, 23, and I had high school boys. I mean, it was all boys um, coming in with their boots, and all they wanted to do was <laughs> work in the coal fields after they, coal mines after they graduated, and they did not want to be there. But it was a good learning experience. So that was my first job. Um, you know, I hated it on some days, loved it on others. Now that I look back, I really did learn a lot and I feel like it kind of toughened me up for that first job. And then I, my second job, we moved to another school in West Virginia and, um, I was an elementary resource teacher. So I worked with the regular ed teachers. I pushed in a lot, um, and that was really where I had one student with autism. And that was really where I had my first experience with a student with autism because where I went to school, we really didn't have a high population of students with autism. So it was like unknown to me, which is crazy that that wasn't that long ago. Um, but it was my first student. He had autism and I absolutely fell in love with him. He like made my day every day and all my other students did too, but he was amazing and, um, you know, you get very close with these families because their students, their, or their children have communication difficulties and some of them can't even talk. So, um, but this, this student could talk, but I became very close with his family and him and um, still talk to his parents to this day. So then we moved to North Carolina. My husband had a job in North Carolina. So I only taught at that school for one year. When I offered a jobs in North Carolina, they were all for this, these autism classrooms, so I was like, oh, and I was like, maybe there's just like eight of this student in one classroom, like so phenomenal. They're so happy all the time. So I was like, it'll be great. It'll be wonderful. So when I started that job, I was like, whoa, I had nothing. Um, but I learned a lot um, that first year. Thank goodness. Uh, I worked in Wake County, North Carolina, and their special ed department's amazing. And they, I mean, any question I had, I was calling them daily, like, what do I do? Um, online, there really wasn't that much yet. So this was probably six years ago. Um, like when I would search autism classroom on Pinterest, nothing came up. So I was like, oh my gosh. So that's really when I started like TPT and all that kind of stuff, like looking for resources on TPT. But then I started making my own because I had, there was nothing for me out there. Um, but I absolutely fell in love with that job completely. Um, that's still what I do today. We moved to, I'm in a smaller county now. Um, so I have more of like a multi-categorical special ed class. So I have um, students with autism still, and then I have some, um, you know, students with just like a mix of disability disabilities. Um, I have a student with a vision impairment. Um, so that's been kind of cool. Not cool, but just learning how to work with him um, has been interesting. And so that's where I am now. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so kind of going back again to, could you tell us about your favorite teacher and, and why that person was your favorite teacher? Yes. Um, so I, this question is always hard to answer because I really did growing up. I had really, really great teachers. Um, I always felt very loved in school, very believed in elementary all the way up to high school, graduating high school. And then even in college, I still had like great professors. I never, thankfully, I never had a teacher. I can't think of a teacher where I'm like, oh, like that guy or don't like that woman. Um, but I remember all of my elementary school teachers, the ones that I can like think of their faces in my heads are the ones that did those like fun 
activities and the hands-on activities, the science experiments. Uh, you know, they weren't they weren't just like paper pencil teachers. Um, so those are the ones that really inspired me. And then today, I feel like being a special ed teacher, there's maybe like one or two of you in the whole school. So it's really hard. It can be very lonely. It can be very hard to get ideas from other people because nobody really understands what you're going through at the school uh, with a student. So now kind of like the online community, um, I learn a lot from other teachers on Instagram and I've made a lot of friends through Teachers Pay Teachers and Instagram that I'm friends with in real life now. Um, and I will like text them a question about a student or things like that because I, I, don't know what to do. <laughs> and right. it's amazing how the teaching community is amazing because we always want to help each other and no one's really in competition with each other. It's just like, we're all here for the kids. We all want to help. You know, I have friends that call me still like, what do I do with this kid? And I'm more than happy to help. And so teachers everywhere. Yeah. I don't have one. I don't have like that magical story. That's of like that's the one okay. teacher that but I have all, I have lots of little, little stories. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's what you would hope every kid would get was a bunch yes. of little stories of teachers that, that, you know, impacted them in, in different ways. So, all right. So finish, finish these phrases. The hardest part of teaching is. Oh, um, so I would say if you love teaching, it's not, it's not the kids. Obviously, some people, parents, there are some parents that can be a little difficult. Uh, but the hardest part of teaching, I would say, in a public school right now um, is the lack of resources, lack of funding. Um, a lot of special ed teachers would probably say paperwork. But for some reason, I don't know, I have like a little bit of OCD in me. I love paperwork. I love IEPs. I'm um, at this school, I'm like the lead teacher for the IP. So I do all the initial paperwork for students who are recommended for special ed. And we do the tests and everything, but I kind of eat that stuff up. Um, but I also, I mean, like running out of copies on the first week of school, like that's, I don't like that at all. So that could, we could, you know, <laughs> that's a little tough. <laughs> no, so, didn't, didn't the North Carolina teachers have a, a walkout day last week? Yeah. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, it's, so. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's just crazy to me. And, like, in was, you know, there are a lot of people that I teach with in Wisconsin, because this is my first year back in Wisconsin. I was in Houston for eight years. Yeah. And I just got back to Wisconsin this year, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be great. You know, it'll be just like, remember it, like, hometown. And, you know, a few years ago, the governor did away with all teachers' unions, and now. Oh, yeah, we don't have unions in North Carolina. And then now the state has decided that once you get an initial license in Wisconsin, it's now a lifetime license. You don't have to do anything to re-up it once you have it. And there's all this crazy stuff going on. And it's Yeah, yeah. But, but no. The, and it's uh, just, I mean, the lack of funding too. Like why, why is my nurse only there two days a week? Like it's Wednesday. I have a kid that throws up. What am I supposed to do? She's not here. Or like um, this is very, uh, for some reason, near and dear to my heart, like my counselor, my school counselor, a lot of my students have, you know, poor home lives or like emotional struggles and 
you know, our poor counselor, my counselor is amazing, but I know in the past, like our counselors have had to be the testing coordinator um, or the, you know, like, why isn't that person, her sole job should be, you know, um, for the students, like there needs to be more like mental health help. There needs, so like yeah. that kind of, those kind of resources too, I think are not a priority right now. Right. So that's, right. you know. Right. Okay. The one thing I wish <laughs> parents knew about teaching is? Um, I think in the special ed sector, um, and I'm in a self-contained classroom. So I have students that, I mean, it's just like a, such a wide range. And I know it varies from state to state. So in North Carolina, they still do self-contained. Uh, when I was in West Virginia, my students were like completely, um, it was completely inclusive. Um, which there's kind of like pros and cons to each. But my students, you know, I have students that are working on life skills. And then I have students that are full academics um, and working close to grade level. So it's a huge gap. Um, so sometimes, but I think parents underestimate their kids a little bit. Um, and when I have IP meetings with a lot of these parents, they're like, oh my gosh, he can do that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, and I do it for my own son. So I can't, you know, I can't say that it's, it's all parents, I think, but you know, you Instead of teaching him how to tie his shoes, I keep tying his shoes or like, you know, things like that. But as a teacher, you know, those are those are goals for these students, um, you know, like pot training and things like that. Like some of my kids are there. That's what they're working on. It's crazy. But um, I have these IPs with these parents and they're like, oh, my gosh, like we do all of that for them at home and they're doing it for themselves at school. Um, so I kind of wish parents could almost like a glass window could see what their kids can do during the day, um, have higher expectations for them. Um, but I don't want their, you know, obviously if a kid sees their parent there, they're, I went to my son's oh, Easter party at school and he was crazy. He was awful. And they were like, honestly, it's just because you're here. He never acts like this. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> but I'm glad he's good every other day of the week. I mean, that's amazing. So, but I think, you know, and parents, for some, you know, it's a little bit different for the students that I deal with in, in the classroom I'm in right now. Um, but like when I taught that high school job, um, some parents, you know, let their kids get away with a lot too. And, you know, I would try to call a parent and say, you know, so-and-so did this today. And, you know, I didn't feel super supported sometimes with the backup with the parents. And I think... That's, that's what I like, you know, I wish parents had a little bit more. And I think that's across all teachers now in right. today's society. Right. Absolutely. So, all right. The most rewarding part of teaching is. Oh, so in my job, um, you know, there's little victories every day. And like I said before, I have a wide range with my students. So, you know, one of my students using a fork to eat or, you know, just hanging up their own backpack, taking off their jacket. Um, I have to teach a lot of my students how to put on their jacket, um, which 
is super fun. We teach them a way to do it, like, and flip it over their head. Because for some reason, the arms, and that's a lot of little kids struggle with getting the right armholes or things like that. Um, so just little things that they accomplish every day. Um, I work with a lot of nonverbal students. And the first thing I start working on them with is communicating with pictures. And, you know, once they can, I mean, these are kids who for their whole life have pointed to get something or, you know, to, to tell their parents, you know, they, well, they can't tell their parents anything with their voice. So if they want some water, they point to it instead of telling them, I want some water. Um, so we have these little picture books, they're called pecs and we teach them how to communicate through pecs and they, they're able to start communicating so much more effectively. You know, I want the big green marker instead of just, you know, pointing or, how whatever their communication system was before that, but really that decreases behaviors a lot because they couldn't express themselves before and now they can. So that's a huge success I see in my classroom, but just, you know, all those little victories for these kids. They're awesome. Nice. <laughs> all right. So we talked a little bit about, you know, like the, the teacher Instagram community and all the support you feel there, but then also on the same side, um, you know, what's going on in a lot of classrooms. So what do you think is like the state of education today? Uh, and we did kind of get into this, but I, I feel like there, and it's, it's just some areas in the country, you know, I, I've worked in schools where I have so many resources and so much support and it's, or, and we do move around a lot because of, my husband's job. So I've worked in a lot of these environments and like I've worked also worked in schools where, like I said, like the poor counselor is also the testing coordinator. So if a kid's having a crisis, they can't see the counselor cause she's working, you know, um, or nurses. So just like funding for these schools, where is it? <laughs> and then, um, just kind of like the lack of respect for teachers, I think overall, um, for some reason, people are like, oh, you get summer off, you know, your job's so easy, you get off at three, and it's not easy, and it's a very, very important job, and a lot of us are not just these kids' teachers, we're their, like, second parents. I mean, we have a lot of kids that come in with terrible home lives, and, you know, their basic needs aren't being met at home, they have emotional issues, so there's a lot that we have to work on before we can even get to the academics with them. Um, so I think just more respect for teachers. That's. So do you, do you think it's across the board? Cause that's something I noticed from when I taught in Houston to now where I'm back um, close to where I grew up in a very, you know, kind of middle-class, you know, rural white school. Do you think, does it feel like more kids now are going through things that you know, like personal and social challenges that get in the way of their academics than say, you know, 10 years ago? I do. I do. I mean, I think, you know, with the world is changing very quickly and social media, I mean, these, like, you have to think of what these kids are seeing at home. And, you know, there's so much more on TV now. There's like all these reality TV and Facebook and Instagram and, YouTube. I mean, if you get on YouTube now, it's it's crazy the stuff that's on there. 
And it's even like little kids like to watch YouTube now. I mean, they want to watch. My son always wants to watch. He loves Tyler the Little Bus on Netflix, which is like a cartoon. But on YouTube, there's Tyler the Little Bus, and it's like a person playing with Tyler toys, which I do not like. And I do not let him watch, but it's just, it's out there. And it's just, it's crazy how much kids are exposed to now than, say, when I was in elementary school. I, you know, I was much more sheltered, I guess. Um, so they're coming to school with a lot more emotional baggage than I think kids were 10 or 20 years ago. Oh my goodness. Like I have, I have high school boys that in my study hall will sit and watch videos of people playing Fortnite. Yes. And yes. it's just, or like they'll watch videos of people playing videos. Like yeah. <laughs> they'll watch people watching video. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's scary. Um, but social media, especially in high school now, I mean, just like the bullying and things, things happen so rapidly now with the internet and with social media. And it's, you know, that's, that's a lot that kids come to school with that we, you know, you can't ignore it as a teacher because if you ignore it, they're not going to get anything from you. If you, right. if they don't trust you, if they can't confide in you, you know, or, you know, if they're just in a little emotional crisis, then they're not going to learn. So you have to have a relationship with your kids. To- yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so you talked a little bit about why you chose, um, special education. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, the, what are the biggest challenges you face with? you know, now that you're in a classroom where you have kids that are on such a different set of levels rather than kind of, you know, kids who are going through similar things. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's definitely tough. And special ed is not a job where most people, I mean, you either have special ed teachers who've been there for 30 years or it's like a different teacher in a classroom every year. Just because, you know, these kids do have pretty serious behavior. Um, you know, I've, I get hit, I get bit. Um, you know, I have, I have students that cry and just for no, you know, there's just such a range of emotions. And, you know, at the beginning of my school year, um, it's a lot of building relationships with the kids and figuring out what they like and what they'll work for and, you know, how to get those behaviors a little bit more in check. Um, because a lot of my students that come in and a lot of students in special ed, a lot of students everywhere, um, don't have the highest of expectations all the time. So, you know, a lot of them aren't very independent. They, they get things done for them a lot instead of them doing it themselves. Um, so just at the beginning of the year, that's a huge challenge, dealing with those behaviors, even, you know, nonverbal or verbal students. I feel like they all come in with some negative behavior, and that's the hardest hurdle to get over. And then once you get over it, you know, figuring out how they can learn. Some students, there's just so many different avenues, and it's so different than, I mean, regular ed kids, they they have different avenues of learning too, obviously. Um, but these kids, you know, if a kid can't write and they're in third grade and they need to learn how to add, 
how do you do that? Or, you know, it's just figuring out, it's almost like a little puzzle, like figuring out a kid and figuring out how they can learn best, where they're at. Um, so that's a huge challenge. We always have teacher assistants um, in our classrooms, which this school year, I actually had my TAs during um, the time before we started school, before students came in. So I was able to train them a little bit. But in the past, I mean, my, my TAs showed up the day the students showed up. So I had no time to like prep them or, you know, train them. Um, and they don't get any special training to work with some of these kids. So it's, it's, you know, you get a TA for a week and they quit and then you get another TA and they quit. Um, and then you get those golden TAs that stay with you forever. And I've had a lot of good TAs. Um, in my experience, I've never had a lunch break. I always eat with my kids. Um, I've never had a planning period. So, you know, my day pretty much starts at when those kids get off the bus and it ends when we put them back on the bus. Um, no, not a lot of breaks, no breaks really. So that's a challenge. Um, you kind of get used to it, <laughs> but it's definitely, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, and the students themselves are all little challenges. So, I mean, that's, that's why they're in special ed, um, but they're also awesome. They're really fun to work with. And, and I definitely, you mentioned relationships and I don't want to undermine the importance of relationships for all teachers, but do you think it's more important with the sets of kids that you've worked with that you really have that relationship piece? Yes. Yes. And it's, you know, I've had students where I had to learn every superhero. I had to buy all the superhero costumes because I wasn't going to get him to do anything unless he could earn to dress up like Superman or I wasn't going to get him to count unless I had all the superhero figurines. And that's what we counted every day. He didn't want to count, you know, dots or 10 frames. I did make a giant 10 frame for him once. And I, you know, I put Batman, Superman, Hulk. I don't even, I can't, this was a couple years ago, but I had so many superhero figurines and I gave, I left it with the teacher um, who was going to get him the next year. But just, you know, with these kids, you, the first couple of weeks, I have to sell myself to them. They have to think I'm the coolest person in the world. They want to have to work with me. They want my, you know, they want my attention. Um, I have to be in like the special ed world. We call it a reinforcer. So I, they have to want to come to school and they have to want to see me. Um, so that's what I work for, for the first couple of weeks. You know, we, I sit on the floor with them. We play with toys. Um, I have tons of different toys in my classroom, tons of different edibles at the beginning of the year. And I figure out, do they like goldfish or do they like sweetest fish or do they like M&Ms or do they like gummy bears? Uh, what will they work for? Because until I figure that out, I'm not going to get anything from them. Um, they just won't do it. <laughs> Right. Um, right. So, but but I think if you compare that to regular ed, I mean, you have those challenging kids in regular education too. And unless you take the time to get to know them and build a relationship for them, they're not going to give you yeah. their full potential. Um, yeah. So it's all the same. It's just kind of on like a... Different, a different well, scale. <laughs> well, and especially, you know, I, t- I teach high school, so I only get, you know, 50-some minutes a day with sets of kids and, and do that. I really, like you said, about being a 
being a reinforcer, making them want to come see you. I think that's, I, I've never heard that term and it's one I definitely want to start using. So yeah. um, I read your blog about heavy work. So could you explain <laughs> a little bit about what heavy work is and why <laughs> teachers need it in their curriculum? Yeah. Um, so I kind of compare it to people. I mean, if you, when you need kind of like a stress relief or something like some people go to the gym and lift weights or like exercise. Um, so it's kind of like that for our students. So some students um, are under responsive. So those students that are just like come in in the morning and they're like, blah, 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 blah. Or like they, in my case, I have a lot of students that, I mean, they are just like, they can't sit down. They, they push, they bump into things. They want you to squeeze them. They just need that. Um, they need input. Um, so, I mean, they jump, they bounce. I have students that, I mean, they would come in and like, a. And I can't say what I was going to say. Cause I don't want to cuss, but like just crazy. I mean, and you, you have to be, you had, I had to have something to calm them down. Um, so I started using heavy work in my class for them, but it also helps those students that are kind of, I mean, like they could just literally fall asleep at any moment. They're just, they need to be like awakened. Um, and those are kind of those over-responsive students that are very sensitive to stimuli and just need some kind of input. Um, so I've done it several different ways throughout the years. I've covered dictionaries and they had to put the dictionaries in a different place in the room. Or um, I had, I used to, the library at my old school, the librarian gave me her library cart and I would have them load up the library cart and we would just push it around the school a couple times. Um, I This year, the OT gave me a shopping cart <laughs> like a mini one. And in the morning I had those couple boys that would just come in and, you know, I have a trampoline in my classroom and a swing in my classroom. Um, so they would kind of get a couple minutes of a sensory break and then they would help me go get breakfast for everybody. And, you know, once you put all the milks and everything, it's a little kindergartner. So, I mean, pushing that cart, it, the carts kind of gets pretty heavy when you have everyone's breakfast in it. Um, so that was just, it's just something to to calm them down. Um, and it's, we kind of make it a routine so they get used to it. And then if they are in kind of like a moment of crisis or if they're having kind of a little breakdown or, you know, a tantrum, just whatever you want to call it. And they need some calming down. Sometimes doing those routines really help them. Um, I filled up old milk jugs with rice. So they're heavier. So they would just move those from one place to the next. Um, trying to think of other ways, other things I've done. Just basically moving something heavy from one place to the other. Um, I used to have some extra book bags in my class and I would just fill them up with books and have them just walk around the school with me just to kind of calm down. Like that would be something that you could do in a regular ed setting for a student that could help them calm down. If you have students with, you know, ADD or ADHD, just that just need some, some chill time. Yeah, but. I I teach in in an alternative setting at the high school I work at. So I when you were taught when I read about the under responsive and over responsive, I just like immediately pinged like a bunch of my kids that that fit into those categories. And I I think it's it, it's under we underestimate it. I think yeah. as regular teachers of just being able to like 
And it made sense to me too, because I I go to the I go to the gym every morning before school, and I kind of get that time, and it yeah. really like helps me to focus and, mm-hmm. and helps me get my center. So I think that's super important. So yeah. you know, beyond that, what is what is the importance of of really working hands on activities with your kids? Yeah. So I mean, like I said before, a lot. I would say nine out of ten of the students I work with cannot write. Now, I, I have the younger kids in my school setting. So, I mean, once they get older, they work with OT. Um, usually they are able to write, but um, they just don't have those skills yet. So when we're working on, you know, counting, I can't just give them a worksheet and tell them to count it and write what you, you know, write what you counted. It just doesn't happen like that. And a lot of these kids are working on a skill for such a long period of time before they master it. So I like to use different hands-on activities and work boxes so they don't get sick of doing the same thing because then they're not motivated, they're not engaged, they don't want to do it. Um, so we do a lot of file, a lot of things with Velcro tasks. Um, and I kind of do themes in my classroom. So, I mean, right now, if I were at school, if I, I'm on maternity leave, so I'm not at school, but they are doing a camping theme this week. So everything's kind of related to camping. So even though all my students are on different levels and doing different things, I can kind of relate what whatever skill they're working on or academic thing they're working on. I just relate it to this, the theme that we're working on. So they're all kind of doing something that's cohesive, but they're all working on their own levels. Um, but I think now in regular ed, I feel like things are so much more interactive and hands-on than they were when I was in school. And it's just so awesome to see like this whole STEM thing is awesome. I mean, I wouldn't, we never did stuff like that when I was in school. And um, it's just so obvious that kids learn better when they're moving around, when they're doing things with their hands, just not sitting with a worksheet. Um, You can get the same skill, but do it so many different ways than just, a worksheet, which, right. you know, obviously worksheets are easy. I get it. Right. <laughs> but, you know, just keeping them motivated. And I think kids really enjoy hands-on activities. So we, we that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think I'm going to butcher this question, but I, I, I want to find the right way to ask it. So with your kids and like the ver- variety of like levels you have, how much of it is like you write a really good lesson plan and it works? And how no. <laughs> much of it is like you're flying by the seat of your pants all the time? It's, it is, I mean, you, in my classroom, it, it's kind of like, there's a lot of teachable on the spot moments. Um, I use, it's a lot through play because that's, you know, that's what motivates them. They, you know, I'm t- we play a game and we count like Candyland. I've played Candyland so many times with students because we're working on social skills we're working on taking turns. We're working on color identification. We're working on counting. We're working on, you know, it's just so many skills that you can do in Candyland that, I mean, instead of me showing them a picture of the color purple and saying, what color is this? And then what color is this? What color is this? I know a lot of um, teachers I've seen, you know, just in special ed settings, they just use flashcards and they use this. And it's, you know, that is one way of doing it, but just... If you're a student, which one would you rather do? Play Candyland with a, you know, with a couple kids or look at flashcards? 
I would rather play. I would. Yeah. I would rather play Candyland. So just you know, and it's not like I say, "Oh, so and so has to learn colors. We're gonna play Candyland to learn colors." It's kind of like during those free periods or free. I mean, I have things that I plan out for my students. I have tasks that they do. Um, we do math and reading rotations, and they have you know they follow sequential lesson plans and curriculums, um, and they do independent work on those mastered skills to make sure that they're keeping up with them. But then I feel like most of the teaching is done on those breaks that they earn because um, my kids, they have to work for something. They're not just going to work for free, which who does? Um, so they all have little earn charts and they earn little tokens by doing good things and doing their work. And once they earn you know, five tokens, they get to pick something they want to do for a break. So I have a student that loves trains, so I have every color of trains, and he's also working on counting in colors like that. So when we're working, when we're playing on with trains, we're counting the trains, we're looking at colors. I'm putting three trains and two trains, and which one's longer, which one has more. Um, so working on so many different skills, and he's so engaged because he loves trains. But you know, I probably wouldn't get that out of him if I just showed him. A worksheet or you know right. two fingers and three fingers which one's more kind of thing uh. right <laughs> right so so based on what we've been talking about in your experience you know what are maybe one or two things that you would advise every regular ed teacher to adopt that you know is happening in the sped classrooms um so i think even though like i said i don't do i mean i, I do write lesson plans i swear but um, using routines and schedules and um, visuals, I feel like is a huge one that I've had a lot of regular ed teachers ask me for visuals because some students just respond so much better to you showing them a picture of like quiet versus you yelling at them or telling them 500 times, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Um, so I think visuals is a huge thing we use in special ed. And those are just like like pictures of things, um, which in my classroom, I feel like if you walked in, you probably wouldn't hear an adult talk for long periods of time because we, you know, we don't want to over prompt our kids. We don't want to tell them something 500 times because we don't think they're listening, but really they're just taking a longer time to process that verbal language. So we show them the picture of work, first work, then iPad or first, you know, and there's their pictures of things. So I think regular ed teachers tend to give so much verbal output to students, especially with like directions and supplies and things. And sometimes students, especially the students with disabilities who are in regular ed, because um, there are a lot integrated into regular ed so they need something more than just that verbal language so i think visual visual is a huge thing that really helps students especially students with anxiety um that need kind of like the schedule of the day pictures of what they're going to do um things like that earn charts um are amazing i mean i it's amazing what a kid will do for one of those little, they're just like the little tokens that you would see it, you know, it's like a little gold token, but they will, I mean, I, I, all I have to do is hold the token up to show them that they're about to earn it. And I mean, they finish what they're doing or they stop talking or they, 
I mean, they just learn that, oh, if I'm, if I just do what I need to do, I'm going to get that five minutes to dress up like Hulk. So, and it's, and like when, when regular ed teachers tell me that they're having this behavior problem with this student, um, you know, that's my first go-to is give them a token board and they, you know, after they work for however many minutes or do what they're supposed to do, or if they don't talk for five minutes, give them a token. Um, though they pick up real quickly, you know, if I just do what I need to do, I'm going to get those five tokens or I'm going to get this and then I'm going to get what I want. Um, and that really helps with the behavior problems and the classroom management. It might be a little bit different for high school. <laughs> well, it's, it's well, not. It's, it's not. I, I have kids it's, who they negotiate. They negotiate. They negotiate. They negotiate. Yeah. <laughs> so. so. Uh, let me think if there's anything else. And well, in the building relationships, like building, making yourself a reinforcer. So you want your kids, you want to be the cool teacher. You want to be the one they want to see. You know, I still have one of my students want to FaceTime me every single day. I've been out. I mean, my son's eight weeks, but like he wants to talk to Miss D. He's calling Miss D. Um, and I, if I can, I talk to him because I'll be back in the fall and I don't want to break that relationship. I don't want him to get mad at me. So I worked a lot. He was, he was one that I worked really hard on. <laughs> Um, to get him to love me and he loves me now and he wants, you know, so the relationships, that's key. They have to know you care and you want, you want to be there. Um, and that you like your job, you know, positive, you know, so we're excited excited. Vegas Vegas. for the teacher heart out conference. We're going to be out there. So so what can people expect from your presentation presentation and from that conference? Um, well, teach your heart out. I have not been to the conference yet, but I'm, I've had a little bit of FOMO because I had all my friends posting about the ones in Nashville and, um, I, I wanted to be there, but, um, I think it's a conference that's definitely going to inspire people. The, the lineup there is unreal. Um, so I'm looking forward to just learning from all of those people and, um, in my session for uh, special ed, I am actually talking about picture books, and um, I had a hard time when I first started teaching in special ed of using picture books for students because it was like doing a group activity, doing a read aloud was just, woof. they just, they were all little messes and all talking, nobody's paying attention, da 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 so just... I feel like I kind of gave up on those teaching moments because it just didn't seem like it was working, but I, I got back into the swing of things and I, I use, I use picture books to guide all of our, you know, reading instruction and comprehension, all that. So that's what my sessions focused on and how to use, you know, visuals and hands-on activities to kind of bring those stories to life. Um, because our students really do love being read to still, and even high school kids. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, they do. But they, you know, I hope to have uh, the session I'm planning is is kind of going to be like a workshop. Um, I want them to be able to take a lot with them, and I want to be I want it to be something that they can start implementing right at back to school and hopefully use all year. So I'm excited. 
for Vegas. Awesome. All right, so to finish up and just a few random questions. Random questions. The best advice you've ever been given. given. This one's so tough. (laughs) Some of these questions are tough. But I think, I don't think it was this quote per se, but it was, you know, all the teachers who I work with during student teaching and um, even some colleagues I had, like when I first started teaching some some more um, veteran teachers, you know, they would say, you know, you're when you're fresh out of college, you're just you work all the time and you work at night and you work early in the morning and you exhaust yourself. And it's just that whole like you can't pour from an empty cup kind of thing. Um, and I think. <laughs> I didn't do it at first. Now that I have two kids at home, I completely understand like teaching is tough. It's very, it's a very emotional job. Um, it's an emotionally draining job and nonstop working doesn't necessarily make you a better teacher because you're exhausted and you're stressed and then your students feed off of that. Um, I know when I go in, whether I'm stressed about an IEP or even if it's not even teaching related, my kids vibe off that and it's a terrible day. Like if they know that I'm if they can see that I'm stressed or, you know, you just act different when you're stressed out and when you're tired and your kids feed off of that and you're not going to have a good day. So that kind of, I know in the Instagram community right now, everybody's all about self-care and it is hard when you're a parent and you're a teacher and a lot of teachers are working two jobs because we don't get paid very much. Um, so you're exhausted, but I think just taking time for yourself, leaving work at work sometimes is going to make you a better teacher in the long run because you're emotionally ready for the day. So I think that was good advice because I follow it now. <laughs> I yeah, did it those first yeah. few years of teaching, but I follow it now because you you have to be 100% there during the day um, to get the job done for your students and you have to be positive and, you know... You can't do that if you're exhausted and stressed. Right. Absolutely. Right. So, Absolutely. So. The best thing you've read in the last read year. The last year. <laughs> when I read this question, I laughed <laughs> because sadly I have not read a book. I, I mean, it's been, it's been years. I mean, I read blogs, um, but I, I said, I read picture books. I mean, I don't know how many picture books I read just for, for getting ready for lessons or to my two-year-old. So I, I said I read Pow Pow Fish like an hour ago. That's his favorite book right now is Pow Pow Fish. So that's like, <laughs> my, it's so my sad, but I did. Like we, like we talked about, I'm listening to podcasts now. Um, so I feel like that's because I don't, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of free time. And when I do have free time, I binge watch TV. That's like my, I just, I just want to like shut down. And, but podcasts are cool because I feel like it's kind of like reading. I can do it in the car. I can't read in the car. I get car sick, but I can, I can listen to podcasts and I can learn so much from other people from just, it's just the coolest thing now. So I'm, but I'm very new to podcasts, which is silly, but. Which podcast are you listening to? to? I'm listening to yours. (laughs) Yes. That's the one I've been listening to. Um, And so many, it's just so, there are so many cool people out there. And 
you know, we're, we're lucky. We're, we're lucky. Yeah, we are. So that's that's what I've been. I, but I have not read a book. I'm sorry. It's it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> my my I'm nephew, going, I, it's my goal now to read a book this summer. Since you asked that question, that that was my that's going to be my goal. Nice. Nice. <laughs> the proudest accomplishment, the proudest accomplishment today. today. Uh, this one, this one was hard too. So obviously my, my own two boys is my, that's my personal accomplishment being a mom. Um, it's the coolest thing ever. Um, but in a teaching aspect, I feel like every student I've had, I could do a podcast on. I mean, I could just like sing their praises and say what I'm so proud of them for. And I feel like those little victories for each individual kid are kind of moments. Um, I have some that, you know, there are some students that stick out where I'm like, wow, like they just totally exceeded my expectations for them. Um, Like I said, I'm in a self-contained classroom. So my students are on a different track than regular ed students. They won't graduate with a diploma. Um, They graduate with an alternative diploma. So you know, when I have those students that are kind of borderline, like they're close to re- they're close to their grade level. You know, if they can be in the le- you know the least restrictive environment, if they can be in regular ed, like that's that's the goal. That's what we work for for them. Um, and I have had students that start out in my class, and we work hard, and we get their levels up, and they end up in you know the regular ed setting, and that's awesome. And that's kind of like their that's kind of like our accomplishment together, even though they did all the work. But um, I don't have like one like thing. It's just like all the little victories that we do every day with our kids and all their little success stories. So those are, you know, that's why I do it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So yeah. if people want to connect, connect with you, what's the best way to do that? What's the best way to do that? Um. So on Instagram, I check my messages all the time. Um, so you can send a direct message on Instagram. At, um, I'm at Teaching Special Thinkers, and then uh, my email as well uh, is Teaching Special Thinkers at gmail.com. And I do I'm, I check those daily, several times a day. Not awesome at Facebook, even though I have a Facebook <laughs> for my for for my blog, but I'm not great at checking that (laughs) and then there's also a contact me on my blog awesome 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 we'll make sure we link that up so everybody can see that that. so last question last question what do you want your legacy legacy to be um so i (laughs) we talked about this before we talked before we started talking this too i don't have like these deep you know i just want um as a teacher, I want parents and my students, past students, to know, like, when they think of me after they've had me or after their kids have had me, to, like, think of me as a teacher that showed up, I did my job, I was positive, um, I was there for them. Um, that's what I want them to think of when they think of me. Because I did my job, I was there, um, I was excited, they wanted to see me every day. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate when you got, when you got two little guys little running guys around that you took some, that you time, took some time, to time to have a conversation, have a conversation with, with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
All right. So, All right. so uh, that'll, uh, be, it that'll be it for this episode. Once again, once again, thank you very much. Thank Gabrielle, you. Dixon Gabrielle Dixon coming on. Coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me.